As I've traveled the world and had these opportunities to meet and work alongside a lot of very interesting people, the question that I keep getting is, how can I create the life that I want? How can I create the brand, the behaviors, the culture that motivate and drive me? This podcast is dedicated to those questions. We can figure out great ways to move forward in life and create a life worth living, a life with purpose and meaning. My name is David Vanderveen. Welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. Hey, this is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. I'm Dave Vanderveen. We've got Rob Bell on today. Rob Bell with one B, although there are actually <laughs> two Bs in Rob and Bell. Um, Rob, it is so good to see you today. It's been a while. Um, I miss you. I we know. miss you and Kitty and the kid and the not the kids. You've got young adults now and a, a junior high age young lady who's probably more like 18. Yes, yes. And planning to run the world. So it's it's all good. Yeah, it's so great to see you. Great to see you too. You you were just I know from friends that uh, who went to see you that you were just in Austin. You were just in Tejas in Texas. Yes. Uh, yeah, I like traveling internationally. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of visa do you have to have to travel there from California? Oh, the Texas one is very it's very, very complicated. Yeah, very... I just was in Oklahoma City and Austin and Dallas. That's um, amazing. How was yeah, the? Yeah. It looked like there looked like a lot of people were showing up. It looked like a full crowds, and I heard that the the Q and A was quite uh, moved a lot of people. I heard I had some friends who some people had gone for the first time, some people have known you for a long time and actually saw you for once, and uh, universal like kind of profundity is what I would say. People were very very uh, moved, touched, and inspired by the conversations. What's the name of the tour that you're doing right now? It's called Everything is Spiritual. <laughs> everything <laughs> everything is spiritual. And you've, yeah. you've, you've been on an Everything is Spiritual tour for a while, right? You know, yeah, it's like, it's what I keep coming back to. The wonder and awe of being a human being and being alive. And how easy it is to get caught up in all the, the senses and perceptions and stresses and colors and shapes and tensions and divisions. when before anything else all you actually know for sure is that you're here right there is some pure raw awareness of a self on a floating ball of rock hurtling through space at 67,000 miles an hour while it's rotating at a thousand miles an hour right. and so for i think it's cent at the center of my work is an invitation to people to to remember and reflect on the wonder and awe of existence. Well, if you start there, man, now you've, you've I, all I, kinds of interesting places. I've, I've, I've heard this from you before and I'm, I'm sure I've stolen it in, uh, in, a, <laughs> in a lot of speeches I've given, but, but I think it's <laughs> profound because it's so easy to get hung up. I mean, especially now in COVID, we were just talking about, right, you know, right. getting back out getting people on stage and, and, um, you ask people a question about their sadness that kind yeah. of kicks it off. Right. Yeah. Well, like everybody's carrying around things, sadness, disappointment, anger, rage, confusion, disorientation. Uh, and you cannot, we can't build a new world unless we acknowledge what is right. what's actually present. And so a, a lot of what I do is simply create a space where people can name what is present within them without judgment. The, the heart 
can hold multiple multiple contradictory things at the same time. You can be restless and grateful. Right. You can be ambitious and perfectly content. The right. heart is fine with all of it's all part of what it means to be human. The mind endlessly judges. It's wonderful at analyzing. It's wonderful at creating two columns. It's wonderful. Like think of how many people right now have a low level weariness and fatigue from the past two years. Of course. And how many people are like, I don't, I don't know why I'm, I shouldn't be so tired. I don't know why I'm so tired. It's like, wait, because you weren't tired after the other pandemics. <laughs> like well, your weird. mind oh, yeah. can literally cook up judgments and templates and evaluation systems. Just it can just create them from scratch in order to make you miserable. And, and yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So so is in in the moment you can be present and simply acknowledge whatever it is that has arisen. It's arisen within a you that's you're not the anger. The anger is something arising within. You're actually larger than it, wider than it, deeper, more expansive. And that's where all the peace, that's all the deep breathing, that's where all the calm is. And that's the combination, right? Of like meditation or like, I know there's tons of psychedelic research going on right now. It's basically the same thing where people all of a sudden separate themselves from the thing that's bothering them, separate themselves from their PTSD, from their depression, from doesn't mean you you don't have PTSD. doesn't mean you don't have depression, but all of a sudden you start to realize that doesn't have to define who I am. Right, right, right. There's this, the great story of the person who goes on the spiritual quest and they keep, they climb up the mountain and they find a guru and they say, I'm asking the one true question that everybody has to ask, which is who am I? And the, the, the guru says, Oh, you got to go higher up on the mountain. I don't know how to answer that one person just keeps going. They finally get to the top of the mountain. There's this old woman in a cave and they say, everybody says you're the only can answer the one most important question. Who am I? And the old woman smiles and says, who's asking? <laughs> <laughs> like the, <laughs> Who is asking? So the moment, like you said, the moment you step back and every major wisdom and spiritual tradition, the moment you step back and observe that which is arising within you. Um, you think about financial stress. Um, I was doing a whole thing on this tour about take any financial stress that you, that you have. You didn't use, you, you didn't have that in the, like when you were eight, Right. You weren't saying things like, oh, God, Donna, this interest rate is killing me. Right. <laughs> you weren't worried about like this is this is new and temporary at best. And the moment you can see, oh, look, I got a little stress. Look at that stress. Notice it. Watch it pass. Doesn't get rid of it, but it puts you in a completely different place. I love that thing. Your friend Liz Gilbert has this thing she says about you know, like fear, right? She says, you know, when you're aware of it, when you're aware that it's not you, then you can say, thank you, fear. You know, I appreciate you, but I don't need you right now. And you can set it aside and you can choose the, choose the action, choose the the behavior, choose the pattern that you want to live. Right. If you, if, if a person can understand fear as data, like, Hey, the stove is hot. Excellent. Thank you. I can do something with this. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. If you can thank your fear for doing its job, it kept you alive. So that's why, like when the guy passes you in the four by four with the no fear sticker, I'm always like, dude, dude, hold on a second. I know that sounds like a move forward to have no fear, but fear is what has kept us alive as a species. So it is not the absence of fear. It is the proper integration of fear. You draw, it gives you whatever data and signal and impulse. It's looking out for you. Thank you, fear. You, you kept me alive. You're protecting me. Got it. Now 
I'll take that data. I'll use one. I'll use one. I'll keep going. Sure. No, I think that's brilliant. And, and, and that's part of the reason you talk about like, we're, we're so lucky to be right here right now. We're on this rock hurling out into space. It's effectively the Starship Enterprise going where, I mean, it's just literally, yeah. right, you said yeah. 67,000 miles an hour, just heading out into God knows what, and right. we're riding on it. You think you're sitting still in LA. I think I'm right. sitting still in Paris and we're literally on a spaceship. That's just like, yes, <sighs> yes, yes. Unbelievable. And we live like, I think Pete, our friend Pete says this a lot. We, we have the privilege to live like pharaohs at, in this point in time. I mean, I can mm-hmm. walk down the street in Paris and get a kumquat or, you know, champagne or whatever I want. I mean, it's all right here and same in L.A. It's it just we're, we're very, very fortunate right now. Unbelievable. So true. So so tell me, um, you know, I, part of the reason I wanted to grab you was because you're my friend and I want to talk to you and this is a great excuse to do it. But the other reasons were, that I heard you, you just came, I listened to your podcast, um, the Rob cast, and you were talking about this new book that you have that you just, just came out on audio called grabbing the bag, <laughs> which just the title is hysterical. And we can talk about that in a second, why it's called grabbing the bag. Um, but one of the things and I'd like, I love giving things away a little bit. Um, I want, I mean, people need to download this, buy it and listen to it because the whole, it's a short three hour audio book that is unbelievably powerful, filled with really important stories. Now in this book, you're not going through the fine details of how to create a home budget or how to manage your money, but you're helping people think about, well, you explained it to me, you've got two big concepts that you talk about in here, right? You talk about um, facts and figures, framing and flow. Tell me, tell me about that a little bit first, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. like, um, I've heard people talk about all sorts of programs to get out of debt, lower your credit card debt, how to make a weekly budget, how to put cash in envelopes. So there's all sorts of wonderful experts and teachers and instructors. I just noticed that there's a paradox at the heart of money that I hadn't heard people talk about that money is both the cold, hard numbers. Like if it costs 20,000 and you have 18,000, you don't have enough money. Like there's like, like the facts and figures. And then there is this whole world of story and energy and feeling. I call it the framing in the flow, all that, that hovers around money right. and that what you're actually doing money is actually these, it's like a polarity. It's these two things that you're constantly moving before it's like, okay, well, what was the electrical bill this month? Mm. And what are all the stories we're telling about the bills? Right. And you need both. So you have like, you have the artist and a lot of people who are creative, who came up through a system that was like, I don't want to talk about money. That would be selling out and then wonder why there isn't enough money to do what they want to create. Right. And then you also have people who, so, so that's, that's an absence of that, this dance and polarity. You also have people who, are so owned and obsessed with the numbers that it shrinks any sense of imagination that there might be possibilities beyond the material reality right in front of us. And just trying to give people language about you're constantly, that's a movement between two truths as opposed to a plan or a template. You're right. Well, you're, you're moving beyond the analytical, right? I mean, the analytical is one story. It's the science of the money. Important. Yeah, it's important. Very important. But, but it's also, it's, it's what do you want? What are you saying when yeah. you say things? I, you know what? Um, one of our friends, Sarah, you're, I met her through one of your events. 
works at Amazon. And, you know, at Amazon, uh, Jeff Bezos obviously has phenomenal amounts of money, um, but he didn't get it by accident. One of the things they talk about there is they said, you know, we have so much analytics that you can almost prove anything, right? There's just too much data. And so he said, what they do at, at Amazon is they don't allow people to do PowerPoints. You have to write memos because they said, we have to have a narrative about you know where our business is headed and the data needs to support that narrative. But if you just look at the numbers, they, they can sort of take you anywhere, right? You've got to have that vision, that narrative, that story that you're telling that has to be able to be written, articulated. You have to be able to share in a memo that people can read in 30 minutes, or we really aren't going to be doing anything. We're just going to be spinning. Um, right. And, and I think that's just profound. I mean, it's not just important for Amazon. It's important for, for individuals. Is that right? Absolutely. Like you think about your listeners uh, who like I would immediately ask somebody who had questions about their life or money. Well, okay. Where are you? What are you doing? What do you want to do? Okay. You, you might need some very straightforward structured, get out of debt, make a plan. There also, the discussion might be, where do you want to go next? What, what do you, what do you want to do? What yeah. do you want to build? And that would be, a very different sort of discussion, but all of it would have its proper place. No, for so sure. You're endlessly moving. And that's, I think for so many people in the modern world, the answers were here are the seven steps or here are the nine. But if you can come to see things way more dynamic, like the universe is energy and relationship. We know this from quantum physics. So it is, it is less, okay, how do I do it? And more, well, what moment are we in? What right. does this moment ask us for? And if you can come to see, and you'll have what you need in the moment. No, and I you'll think- You'll have the, the wisdom, you'll have the insight, you'll have the next step. That will be present in the moment. Right. It's the Gordon, the guided missile, rather than trying to have this grand plan and see it all from the beginning. The Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Collins talks about that. He said, you know, if, if you figure out what, you know, like if you had unlimited amounts of money, $200 million, but only five years left to live kind of focuses your, your priorities. Right. And he says, if you have that list of how you would live your life versus how you're going to live your life right now, anyways, it gives you two, two different paths. Right. And the question he says is if you have this other list in front of you all the time, it will create mechanisms where when you're making those little daily decisions, you can ask, is this moving me towards what I want or is it moving me further yeah. away from it? And it, uh, you don't have to have all the big answers at, at the moment you create that list, but it helps shape your daily actions, which ultimately is what takes you down the path that you want to be. Yeah. On. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so why is it called grabbing the bag? <laughs> Cause my son, Preston's friend, Liam, you would love Liam, by the way, he yeah. is, Oh God, he is unbelievable. He worked at this cafe at the end of our street and he'd come by he'd, on his break. He'd come by for like a smoke break and he'd stand out in front of our house and he'd be like, well, I got to go back to work. And he referred to going to work at the cafe as, you know, you got to grab the bag. And we would always like, that was, <laughs> that was his kind of minimum wage cafe job where he's making coffee and, and it's a lovely little cafe, but we were always laugh about going to work is like grabbing the bag because it's like you can't take anything too seriously if you call it grabbing the bag and yet like we all got like you got bills to pay like if you if you can't pay the bills you this is tr like if there's no roof over your head this is 
this is a serious human concern you have on your hands. Absolutely. So capturing it's 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 just money, but it's actually money. Like you're grabbing the bag. Like we all have these. I mean, financial pressures have an unusual way of keeping you awake at night. Right. This is real, and yet you're also learning to hold this all loosely. And once again, the dance between the two. And sometimes you need, no, actually, this is serious. We need to like sit down and figure this one out. And sometimes you need, ah, it's just money. It's just, it's just it comes and it goes. Um, no, and I think, yeah. And you, and you kick this off with three stories. You talked about your friend, Tom, who I'm pretty sure I know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful yeah. man, beautiful man in uh, West Michigan. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting how our, like if we go back, and, I, and I'm sure you as well, Money has this unusual way to imprint on the psyche and the soul. It, ha- it has this, it has this unusual way to etch truths. It's 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 like a, it's always showing you something, teaching you. So I tell about this uncle who was so frugal that it was almost like an energetic force field. Right. Like it's what he was known for was his stinginess with money. And I'm, I'm sure your listeners have the same thing. There are these people who, how they handled money came to almost be how you picture them. Right. Um, well, and it gets so to a point where it really affects their quality of life and who they are. Right. It's the primary guiding value. How, it, right. It, it, it becomes like a, right. A guiding value. And, and money is, I mean, there's only a few things that are that powerful that can shape how we perceive how we move in the world. So even coming to see money as it's always reflecting back to you, some truths about something. Well, I think, you know, like you talked about Tom being this really generous human. I mean, he was great at, he was great at making money, but he was also incredibly generous with it and took great. I think he really, I mean, well, it gets back to things we've talked about a lot. I've heard from you, you know, if love is the defining value of the power of the universe of God, and then we must live in a generous universe. Then it must be important that we live generously. And it must be that money isn't this fixed pie that we get to carve out. And, you know, I'm going to fight you for your piece. So mine's a little bit bigger kind of mentality, but it's more about, we can make more pies. We can share the pie. Yes. We can give yeah. pies away. We can charge for some pies, you know, but it's a different, very different, very yeah. different thought process. And I think it's very unique to, frankly, it's, you know, my travels around the world, you know, there's some parts of the world where I do business where historically, like if I've been, for example, and I'm not saying all people in India are like this, but there's a mentality in India among Indian dealmakers in general, where they have to feel like they're hurting you often. Like you, they're, you know, like they're, they're screwing you in order for you to get a deal done. Otherwise, if, if, even if they're making, doing it, doing really well, if they know you're doing really well, they're going to be like, I must've done something wrong. Right. And you're like, dude, that's the exact opposite in my opinion of how we should be thinking. I'm mean, not that I'm saying they're doing it wrong. It's just, they come from a more of a fatalistic fixed, fixed worldview yeah. where they think, you know, there's only so much. So if he's doing well and I'm doing well, then I must not be getting enough. A win-win is a problem. A huge, this huge is, problem. This feels right? like a win-win for everybody. Oh, then who, so someone did something wrong. Uh, kill that deal. You know, um, where I think you or I would be like, if it's not win-win, why would I do it? I don't want to hurt somebody. Yeah. I want yeah, everyone yeah. to benefit. Um, it's just a very different mentality. So there's that generosity versus that miserly kind of, uh, you know, trying to, and, and you said too, like when, when you live that way, when you have that sort of that hoarding mentality, 
it really, I mean, it, it becomes like a very negative element to who you are too, right? It really kind of. It's like an energetic pattern in which everything is moving in, not out. I'm glad you brought up my friend, Tom, because I didn't grow up around business. Mm. My, my dad would be like considered like a public servant or something. There was a fixed government paycheck. It's he a federal judge. Yeah. Um, so business or revenue streams or this was not anything I grew up with. And in my late 20s, this friend of mine, Tom, who was a bit older than me, um, he was a businessman and he is shrewd, shrewd is the word. Like he's a good businessman, like thinks like, how do you, and he, he, we'd get together and we were wanting up to him. He's like, well, I want a bunch of land over here and these people want it, but now nah, it's not the right time. Like, and then we decided we could develop, like he was, he was unbelievably on it about how to take these resources and turn them into more. So he was both incredibly careful and particular and exacting, and it's just money. He was all like in the, I, in the um, grabbing the bag. I tell about him loading that woman's down with. He would have people meet him at Costco, and he would load their minivans down right. with food. Like he like spent nine hundred dollars one time <laughs> jamming a woman's minivan because she and her husband were out of work with food. And he was so proud because her minivan would barely drive. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had given so, so much. I just watched him. He'd say like, oh yeah, I was in this meeting. I just walked away. I had them over a barrel, but they wouldn't. I just walked away. Because if you can walk away from the table, you're fine. So he would just walk away from huge deals because it wasn't exactly right. But then he also would be like, what do you need? I watched him just take care of more people on the down low. Um, and that was when I first started to see this giant paradox of it's money and it's, it, it's, it's a big deal and it's just money. But well, I think you say in your book, in this audio book too, you talk about the fact that money's a mirror, right? Like it reflects right. you in different ways. Um, we used to say when I was at, at acting, we talked a lot about money and people, money's evil, money's good. It's like money's, money's amoral. It doesn't have a morality. Money's an expression of who you are. Money's an expression of your ethics or your values. Um, when you talk about money as a mirror, how do you, how do you think about that? What were, what were you, what were, what are you talking about? Well, I just noticed, especially with financial stress, when you have that like pit in your stomach, you're awake in the middle of the night. You're like, how did I get here? That, that was, it, it sits in the body in a particular way in the heart, a particular way. And I just noticed over time how if I could, and Kristen and I would often move to what's it reflecting back to us? How did we get here? Oh, oh, this moment we're in regarding money. Actually, 17 months ago is where this particular thing started. Like it's constantly reflecting back to you narratives, stories, values. Um, why does this? Why am I feeling this? Is it because I feel like there's not enough? Do I mm. feel like I got the short end of the stick? Do I feel like the un universe is against me? Do I feel like something is unfair? Do I feel like I shouldn't have to go through this? Well, <laughs> well, those are all stories you're telling. So right. it's a mirror because it just goes, you like, how you like that story? You like that story where the universe was, or they have some you don't or whatever. Um, 
How's that story that some other people simply got some sort of free pass that you didn't? How's that story? You like the limited because you get to decide the story. Well, no, yeah, you, in fact, you had three, I wrote down three different sentences that you used to reflect different kind of mindsets around money. Oh, that I thought were really helpful, yeah. right? Like, like must be nice or oh, yeah. the pleasure <laughs> is mine or <laughs> I'd never be able to afford that. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. This one's huge. The, the, the extent the the neighbor, the, the brother-in-law, whoever it is, who something you got something new or nice, the new car, whatever it is, let's just pick up yeah, a cliche. Yeah. And somebody says, must be nice. <laughs> you want to punch like everybody in the knows face. that. Everybody so why do I want to punch person. him? Why do I want to punch him in the face when they say that, Rob? <laughs> well, what's fascinating is when you begin to slow down and pay attention to the energetic fields underneath the language that we use must be nice is that's actually a dig right. first off right that is actually the animating energy of must be nice is actually resentment right resentment is good comes to you that does not come to me um it is unable to see beyond it, it reads what happened to you as a judgment upon me at some level. Right. Um, must be nice is actually a failure to see a generous universe that can take care of you as well. So it, it, it carries so much loaded story and baggage and narrative. Um, the assumptions and, in it are pretty deep. Ooh, so if, if at the most basic level, a person can slow down and listen carefully for what's happening when people talk about money, it's yeah. generally something about the nature of the universe. Um, you also talk about like people saying, oh, I'd never, you know, when they're seeing something saying I'd never be oh, able to afford that. Oh, I could right, which never. Is, which is, right. Right. I could never afford that. Well. Okay, so you can't now, but a definitive statement of closure and limitation about all future possibilities. First off, you don't know where your life is headed. Right. Um, and maybe it's a private island, which maybe, yeah, maybe you will never be able to fortify. That's fine. <laughs> They're overrated anyway, apparently. But <laughs> um, you can see somewhere there's a wound. A person has shut down to the possibilities of life because of some probably past hurt. And they have already closed themselves down to new futures and possibilities. Right. Um, I could never afford. Um, how about, yeah, I couldn't swing that right now. Just how about just backing off one click? Yeah. How well, yeah. Just, yeah. That's, and when I think to your point too, like maybe, maybe you don't want a private Island and that's fine, <laughs> but that doesn't mean. That's you a might dumb never, example, by the way. No, but no, but, 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 but no, but I think, but to your point, like, you know, or even let's say I remember talking to my dad at one point when I was just starting to think differently about possibility, right? When I was in my twenties and I asked him, you know, so I was trying to put together, you know, what are my dreams? What are my goals? Where do I want to go in life? And I said to him at the time, you know, my dad's a head and neck specialist, you know, did, did, did well. And I said to him, I said, um, if you could have any car, what would you drive? And he looks at me and he goes, a Toyota Avalon. And I'm like, yeah, but you've got a Toyota Avalon. He goes, yeah. What else would you want in a car? 
you know, it's got everything. Of course, this is a very West Michigan mentality, very Dutch thrifty mentality. Um, and I, I just remember like going, you gotta be kidding me. And then as I kind of reflected, I'm like, he's not wrong. I mean, it does pretty much have, it's, it's a bit of luxury. It's very easy to drive. It always starts. It's, you know, there's like a million reasons why it's a great car, but what I also sort of realized was, you know, you don't have to want the ultimate luxury good. You don't have to want a Lamborghini. You don't have to, you kind of have to be careful what you wish for. You might get it. Like, is that really what you want? What do you want? And speaking, right, you know, right, right. writing it down, thinking about it and, and really visualizing. So how low to the ground do you want to be when you're driving a car? Uh, how much gas do you want to burn? What do you want to do with the environment? It's just a lot of questions, right? And um, and maybe for some people, the ultimate answer is, you know, a Lamborghini Diablo or whatever the new Lamborghini is. I don't even know. But, the, uh, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like, figure out what you want, figure out where you're headed. I really like I the one. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I remember in my mid thirties talking to a guy who owned a Ferrari yeah. and he said to me, it's the weirdest conversation. He's like, do you know how much an oil change is in a Ferrari? <laughs> and I was like, no. And he's like, 1200 bucks. Exactly. And I remember just having this like, Oh God. The, I don't know how many people know that that's a problem. <laughs> I, so when, so this is the reason I talk about Lamborghinis and Ferraris even better example is when I was in my 20s mid 20s we lived in the Bay Area San Francisco Bay Area and I was like man Ferrari for you know Ferrari was on my brain and I went to there's a really good used Ferrari deal like classic cars Ferrari dealership in um somewhere in the East Bay I think it's in Walnut Creek or somewhere anyway so I go there and I'm, you know, I'm like, no, I have no business buying a Ferrari. I'm, I'm walking, but I always wanted to kind of visualize and say, is this really what I want? And so I was looking at him. There was a, there was a Mondial, which had four doors and it was a cool, it was a cool vintage Ferrari. And I, we had two little kids at the time. Our boys are much bigger now, but I was like, you know, this is cool. I could put four kids in it. I could drive this. And I start talking to the guy and he's an older guy. And I'm like, and, and, you know, so first thing I noticed only had about 10,000 miles on it. And it was like a 15 year old car. Second thing was, um, uh, you know, it wasn't that expensive. It was, you know, I mean, it wasn't cheap, but it was, let's say it's $40,000 at the time. It was something I could have afforded to purchase. And I said to the guy, I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting one of these, you know, and he goes, he goes, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. He was a really nice guy. He goes, uh, what were you, what, what are you thinking about driving this for? And I was like, well, I've got two kids, you know, and I, I put about 50,000 miles a year in a car and I thought I could, you know, use this as my, daily driver, da, da, da. And he goes, and he said to me, the first thing he said was, do you realize what, a, what an oil change costs? And he, you know, he quoted me right around that number, 1500 or something. And I was like, holy smokes. And he goes, and do you know what a tune-up costs? And I said, right, right, know, this, right. it's like $5,000. Right, right. I remember that guy said the same thing, the tune-up. Yeah. And I was like, he goes, he goes, look at the mileage in every used Ferrari in here. He goes, you'll never buy Ferraris with more than 20,000 miles on them. He said, this is a car you buy to drive to, to a destination. He goes, you don't drive, you don't drive this every day, you know, but it just, it was just this whole, like, but part of the, part of the joy of that wasn't whether or not I really wanted Ferrari. The part of the joy of it was like, when you start to realize you can create the life you want, then you have to be really careful about what do you want and how are you going to live and what are you going to, you know, what are the ideas in your head and how are you expressing them? I, I thought that was a huge point in this whole mindset was you know, which leads to the other one you had, which was the pleasure is mine. Right. Uh, right. Right. When somebody picks up the check and you're like, Oh, you like put your car down. They're like, no, no, I got it. I got it. And they're like, Oh no, the pleasure's mine. 
and that feeling when giving to others brings you so much joy that you're literally like, I'll take your joy and my joy. I'm going to double my joy by being generous <laughs> and how that just moves the world in such profound ways. Oh, it's, it, I mean, I love, I love buying meals with friends and part of it is, I know because, you do. It's amazing. It, but you know, it's what's wonderful. Fun? You know, it's fun. this is another <laughs> little side note on that. So I was in Bali and Changu surfing. I was staying in a friend's house. I think, you know, Steve, I was staying at Steve's house and he wasn't there. He introduced me to some other people virtually that I ended up going out with and buying them drinks that night. Cause I didn't know them and they brought me along. I thought it was a nice gesture. The next day after surfing, one of the guys, we go to watch rugby at some Irish pub in Changu, which is kind of a funny concept, but he goes, he goes, I'll, I'll shout your beer. And I was like, no, no, I got it. And he said to me, he goes, cause you bought drinks last night. He goes, you don't let people buy you drinks, do you? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you know, sometimes you need to learn to accept a gift. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Oh, there's a, there's yeah. a, yeah. yeah. Because somebody else needs that joy yeah. too. You don't get to steal it all. Right. The time. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and obviously generosity can also be an element of control. Like yeah. you're always giving. So you're always in the strong seat and receiving is as an art form as well. Right. I mean, The Giving Tree was a great book by Shel Silverstein, but he didn't write The Getting Tree. And I think that's a mistake. <laughs> the Receiving Tree. The Receiving Tree. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, um, it is like in, in the in the audiobook, I talk about new money and that sometimes a person has to play out certain potentials with money. Um, like, what would it be like to have our life set up that way? Okay, try it. Try it. What would it be like to do that? Okay, try it. Try it. See, just sometimes you got to like work stuff out. Sure. Well, I think both you and I have both had bigger houses in our lives. And we've chosen to live in kind of smaller homes. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, at yeah. This point in our life. Very much. And I think you actually helped open my eyes to that. That the, I mean, not that it's right or wrong. You can pick, choose big, choose small. I don't care. But it's there's something really nice about having something contained where you don't have to fill it with stuff. And by the way, when you try and move with a house full of stuff, you figure out real fast, you've been filling it with junk. You haven't used or looked at for 10 years, but it's just. So everything in our life, we, we have work that we love. Everything is about the simplest possible life. So that, so that we can do our work. Like Kristen and I, there's, there's one closet in this house that's actually you could literally call it a, a like an actual walk-in closet and so there's no garage so everything has to fit on like a couple of shelves and we did it intentionally that way because just to have as little stuff as possible so that um my mind can be free so we can do the work that we want to do so yeah all the like when i talk about playing stuff out you can have you can have you can have more square footage. You can have more furniture. You can have more stuff. That's great. That's fine. Some of that's fine. But I just the other direction is just much more interesting. <laughs> A few it forces, things it forces you to edit your life. Yeah, yeah. I want my head as empty as possible of all that stuff. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and which kind of ties into you were talking about you know people, um, you know, 
when they get new money, when they have an expansion in their life. And yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, one thing people can do is not change at all. The other thing they can do is obsess about more. You're right. Um, right. Right. Talk about, if you don't mind, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I've noticed how sometimes people will, especially if somebody didn't have money and then they get money. Sometimes the money they stockpile it and don't make any changes, but weirdly enough, the money then gains even more power. They, they went they went from lack to surplus, but the lack had a certain power over them, and now they're stockpiling it, and it has a it's the exact opposite, but it's the same hold, almost right. like a spiritual hold. Like they're before they so much energy was spent on what they didn't have, and now they're just spending all the energy trying to protect what they did have, and so they didn't actually gain much in terms of headspace. It's the same chunk of headspace just on abundance not scarcity right um, the lack is I still the know, focus yeah, yeah. <laughs> right 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 even in surplus lack is the focus right so um i've also noticed people who bought something nice almost you could see there was an element of guilt like am i allowed to do this can i just but actually the power of it was freeing them it helped them move to it's just money it's just money. Um, mm. I, uh, what was it? I just talked to a guy who bought his family a jet ski and it was like a massive moment for him. It's just a jet ski, but it was this massive moment from, from once again, located in the overall story of his life. Can you just buy something gratuitously fun for your family to take out in the ocean? And he, he like had to work that through. Yeah, you can. Right. It's like play, you had to play it out. And I was like, did you feel guilty? And he's like, I felt dangerous. I felt wild. I felt irresponsible. Um, yeah, good. No, no. It's like, sometimes you have to break the hold. Otherwise you're just left bound up in the, it's just money. It's just money. Well, you talk about that in, um, in one of your earlier books about, um, you know, how in your home, when you're growing up, you so, sort of realize that there was this grief and sadness and these kind of these assumptions that were undergirding a lot of your life that you don't, you weren't aware of until you got older. And I think you said one of them was this whole idea of what did you do with your day? You know, that, that oh, you have yeah, to yeah, be, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I, my grandma, when she was put to bed at night, her, my, my great grandmother, who I distinctly remember, she would say, what did you do today to earn your keep? Right. And when I, what did you do today to earn your keep? When I maybe early thirties could see a generational pattern going back four generations of you got to earn your spot every day. Um, and how that produced a compulsion and drive to produce work, earn, prove that you're valid, authentic, legitimate, whatever. Um, and man, that, that is so far from the grace and wonder and awe at just being here. So family systems can easily, and money obviously is all bound up in it, produce all, all sorts of stories floating around about, but that one when I got, when I was able to see that, because I was just pushing myself so unbelievably hard, just work, 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 and not really burning out, but not really knowing why I was pushing so hard. 
and could trace back. Oh yeah, this has been in my bloodstream. What you do to your keep? Well, and, and you're, and I think to your point, you're trying to fill. <laughs> you've got this hole that needs to be filled with love and grace and joy and yeah. attach, you know, healthy functional relationships. And if your family narrative is subconsciously teaching you to try and fill that with money and hours worked and day, you know, you can, you can make a gazillion dollars, however much there is in the world. You're never going to fill that hole with money. Right. 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 I was talking to this meditation teacher and she's done this for years. And I said to her, if what is the one thing, the most amount of people that you work with, if they knew this, you, what is the one truth that you say to the most amount of people? And she's instantly, she said, you're enough. So <laughs> most everybody I work with, they somewhere along the way picked up. You're not enough. Right. Right. Which, right. and if everybody knew that they are enough, which is interesting because it's a very vague phrase and yet we all know exactly the feely. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's there's a healthy tension there, I think. Right. I mean, there right, is right, like, right. Especially if you have kids like, look, you don't want your kids just hanging out doing nothing or just, right. you know, right, right, right. Or, or not, you know, because Sarah and I were talking about this. We all know people who have you know, effectively trust funds who don't really need any money in their life and were born that way. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people, but people who manage that well, families who manage that well have taught their children how to find their passion, how to get become good at something and how to how to do that work so that somebody else is exchanging value with you. Right. So you're whether it's money or whether it's some other transaction, but so that basically you have a purpose and you're putting a lot of effort into that purpose, not because you need it to feel loved, but because I think that's sort of why we're here. We, we're, I think people are made to work, but you don't want that work to be the be confused with the love, that, yeah. the unconditional love of your family or your yes. spouse or your parents. Yes. Um, you don't want yes. to confuse those things. And I think sometimes it just becomes, instead of a Venn diagram of overlapping circles, it becomes one circle and people are like, how come, how come the more money I jam in this hole, uh, it doesn't seem to solve it. I'm more miserable. Right. I right. love this. There's this Japanese word, a key guy, which is that, which gets you out of bed in the morning. Right. Like that's that, that's the thing you get to go find. Yeah. And I think, yeah, with, with Ikigai, they show that how your passion, what you're actually good at and how you make money kind of, they come together and give you that where they overlap that central point is kind of that focal, right? Yeah. 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 Well, that's profound. You also talked about being cautious. You, you, you quoted Jesus and Luke talking about covetousness and you use this, this uh, Greek word as a pleonexia. Am I saying that right? Yeah, no, is that a great word? Pleonexia. Yeah. yeah. Whew, it's like a complicated, mean? cumbersome word. <laughs> I love it. Greek, you'll be natural. Roll off our tongues. But I love the fact that it's such pleonexia, such a weird word to say because it's the numerically more. So this is when I also call it stockpiling. It's mm. when you are pushing yourself to accumulate, but you don't actually know what the number. You don't have a number. Mm. Just the answer to, to answer is what's the number? The answer is more. Mm. It's just. And not in like a human progress sort of way, but just in a covetous. It's a vague, what, like you said, like trying to fill a hole that can't be filled. It's mm. a vague, low line terror that if I just stay a step ahead of it and get more, I'll be okay. But that day never comes. 
because there isn't some number. There isn't enough. It's just an endless push. So it's the person who's like, well, I got this much. Okay, great. Well, at what point will we take a breath, enjoy ourselves, right? um, reflect on what a wonderful thing it is to be alive? No, we're pushing, pushing, pushing towards what? I'm this uh, counselor that I know. He said that, um, I'll never forget this number years ago. He said that when he works with people who have, there's somebody who wronged them and it's eating them alive and they know they need to forgive the person, yeah. but they can't do it. And they, they come to him because they're like, listen, my, my hatred, my desire to see this person suffer is so great. I need help here. And when he says to them, how, if, if you were to get revenge for what this person did to you, mm. tell me how you would know that you'd gotten revenge. Right. How would it feel? How would you know that you'd properly gotten revenge? And he said he's never had somebody who was able to name and adequately describe how they would know that they'd actually gotten revenge. And he said that is, in his experience as a therapist, how people begin the process of forgiveness is they realize I'm not forgiving because I want revenge, but I don't actually know what that would be like. Right. Um, And so for so many people, well, I just need more. How would you know when there's enough in the bank that you could actually enjoy your life or that you wouldn't work the hours and neglect whatever friendships, things you actually are passionate about? Um, And oftentimes what I've noticed is the person, there is no number. Or you think about social media or platform building or business building where where a person is just pushing, pushing, but there are goals which can be lovely and there are metrics you're trying to hit but there is also a deep spiritual uh, i'm trying to build a thing but i don't know when i will have built it i haven't it's just i it all goes vague well that that sets you up for a a heartache yeah i mean you well you let's say i mean you had you mentioned your work you 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 were a pastor at a very large church that (laughs) that you had helped found that you had founded i got all this Um, beaten out of me at a young age yeah. All of a sudden, I was like, "Wait, more people? Well, we got a lot of people. Well, what, more? At some we, point, more can't be the answer to every question." Yeah, you, you already had ten thousand people showing up on Sunday. You had <laughs> what did you say? You had like over nine hundred people just managing the nursery. <laughs> it was just all. It was a. It was a wonderful gift for me because it was so cartoonish the size and scale that it pushed me into these issues. The pain of God, I am killing myself, but what? for i can't get my right soul i can't get my mind around like this isn't sustainable but I, when are we are we done do we ever get to take a break like right. what, can i yeah it was a, it was yeah even thinking about it i feel like there's there's like a tightness in the chest because and i've seen this with so many people i work with a an unsustainable pace of life in pursuit of something that can't be named well, and, and Willem and I were talking about some of this last night, my younger son, we were talking about in academia, how um, schools of thought get dedicated to a construct, to an ideology, right? To a yeah, thought. Yeah. And somebody creates this idea and then everyone's, I want to do the, I'll do the 2.0 version. And they're all yeah. talking about this guy that they're building on top of its construct, <laughs> on top of construct. And it happens in churches. I mean, humans do this everywhere in their life. We're what really we, good at this. We're, we're really good at this. <laughs> Far too good at it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and and I think to your to your credit, 
you know, if I can butter your bread for a second here, I think the thing that you did really well, and it's, it scared me when you did it was you had this huge successful organization, but you were also writing books and you were doing a lot of public speaking outside of it. And you realized that your journey was uh, on a path of progress that might take you, you know, away from this big organization you built because they couldn't go with you at the speed that you needed to travel at the distance you needed to go with what you were, you know, what you were discovering. And so you decided to leave that and create a new audience. Um, I mean, it's not that the people at Mars Hill don't love you and don't follow you. I'm sure that many of them still do, but you realized that your journey was going to take you elsewhere. And you, I'm sure there was some fear and trepidation at some point, but you were like, there was a point where you're like, uh, I've got to, this isn't about the money. I mean, obviously <laughs> it's not like no, you no, own the church, was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about no, that no. journey a little bit. How did you make that, that shift and that change and, and, you know, the consequences? Most steps, this is what happened to me and what I've seen happen in so many people. Most steps into greater embrace of who you are and what you're here to do involve turning away from some outer sign or symbol of what appears to other people to be success Mm. it calls into question there's something within you that arises and asks for expression some next step some next project some question that you are seeking to answer with your life and it generally and following it and pursuing it and stepping into greater authenticity involves stepping away from something that someone somewhere calls success. Um, so it's, it's less whatever money followers, what appears to be influence or whatever, but it's something within you is like, this is, this is what would light me up is to follow this. So for me at every step, at every step, there's some conventional wisdom that's like, well, you would do this. I'm like, yeah, but no, I got to try this because <laughs> this is where the life is. And this that's is where a, the life is. And you have a deep sense that you need to do, you feel it inside you. Do you look for proof points to kind of also shift you or do you just, yeah. when you feel so, that, do you just um, take a leap? Generally, there's something that's asking to be created. I can feel it. I can see it coming. I can see, and it has just enough shape and structure to know which direction to step in, but not enough guarantee. Mm. So there's a sort of risk. It it always involves an element of unknown. It always, always has like, I don't know if I could pull that off. I don't know if I, I don't know if I could pull that off. Mm. There's always like a, can we do that? What would that, it, it, it has a, a question built the great artist Robert Irwin talks about pursuing a line of inquiry. So it's, um, I have his book here someplace. Would that, what would that be? Yeah. It's very, very deeply personal. You go far enough inside yourself, you find everybody else. Right. So I remember thinking, Oh, like I'd never done anything on money. And I was like, I think there's some way to talk about money that I've never heard people talk about some sort of polarity between the facts and figures and the, like that is a, that is an example where, I wonder if I gave myself to that. There'd be some way to give people some new language, especially for partners, business partners, people around kids, like new language for the people that they handle money with. So it just becomes 
I'm going to make that. I don't know if anybody's interested. I don't know if anybody, I don't, I don't know. Well, I'm um, interested. Almost yeah. like surrender. <laughs> so it generally involves the surrendering of the outcomes. I don't know what this will be in the world, but to make it, the only question is what is it asking to be? And then I try and make it and put it out and see what, and then, so you wanted to talk about that. There's, it was joy in making it's joy in talking about it. <laughs> it's like, I follow the joy and it all seemed to work out. Well, and, and I think you, you know, you tell the story of Akiva who I've, I've heard you talk about before at the end. Yeah. 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 Would you mind retelling that story briefly <laughs> to wrap, to wrap up the story, talk about grabbing the bag. Uh, this story. Yeah. It's just the best. It's so the great, teacher Akiva is walking home one night and he misses the turn to his village because it's late and it's dark and he ends up at this Roman military outpost. One of the soldiers says, who are you and what are you doing here? And he says to the soldier, how much are they paying you here? And the soldier's like, what? Pay me like 10 denarius a week. And Akiva says, I'll pay you twice that to come to my house and ask me those two questions every morning. So profound. Who are you and what are you doing here? It's, um, it's everything. And I like what you said earlier, who are you and what do you want to do? Yeah. What do you want to do? You want to build something? You want to make, you want to help these people? You want to heal that problem? You want to fix that? You want to, you want to make the world better for those people? You want to teach those kids to read? Like what, what is it? Like what I've discovered is most people, if you can create a space where the mind isn't doing that running commentary and judgment, there is a thread to their life, which is sometimes even different than what they're doing for work. It's different than sometimes what they're trained in, but there is a thread. There is some them that's always been them. Right. Um, and most people, if they're in a, in a space, there aren't that many. If they're in a space where they can think through what have the moments been when I'm most alive, most connected, when time flew because I was just caught up in something? In my experience, most people can identify some, some thread, something no. that is who they are in the world. Absolutely. No, and I think that who are you? Why are you here? The question I ask people all the time, yeah. all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. Why are you here? What is it you want? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are you? What do you want? Yeah. You know, most people have never written that down. Most people have never articulated right, 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 it. Right. Most people have never visualized it, dug into it, like the story about the Ferrari. Most people have never <laughs> even said, is it, I want a Ferrari. Have you ever have you seen, have you driven a Ferrari? Do you know what an oil change in a Ferrari like costs? Yeah. Why do you, why? You know, dig yeah. into it, figure, actually figure it out. Um, and, Chris, and it's just, by the way, Kristen, by the way, Kristen calls it sweaters. It's like you're trying on sweaters. Yeah. Social season, you're like, you try on sweaters. Yeah. Just try stuff on, try stuff on. Just keep trying stuff on. And at some point you're like, oh, I like this. This fits. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well then wear that sweater for a while. At some point you're like, there's a reason I only buy cashmere. <laughs> Not afraid of the finer things in life, Rob. No, but I think <laughs> <laughs> we're trying on sweaters. Even think about look, even think about location where you're gonna live. Yeah. Visit. Yeah, go check this. Yeah, go visit that place. Go look at that open house. Go try it on. Try it on. I just referenced you in the inaugural Kick Aspirational Season 5 episode because, you know, when we moved here to Paris, um, you know, it's something that Sarah had had written down. This was her, one of her goals 
for a long time. We were supposed to get married here. Of course, couldn't, turns out couldn't afford it. A um, bunch of other reasons, but you know, we just, our son went to school here, et cetera, et cetera. But then when we finally were moving, you were the person who said to her, oh, this was the long play. <laughs> yeah, it was always the sissy long play. Was, oh, just yeah. getting to Paris one way or another, right? Yes. It's just, it's just a matter of when. And I think, but I think it's really important that you understand that. Like, what is it? What do you want? It doesn't have to happen tomorrow. You just got to get it done at some point, at some yeah. point in the future. So yeah. grabbing the bag, where do we find this? This is on your website, right? Robbell.com. Robbell.com. Yeah, there's a bunch of audiobooks on there and there's a couple more coming in the next little bit. So I like doing that. What are the other uh, topics you're going to be covering? Um, I did one on oh, a couple of years ago on communication, seven hours and 45 minutes on the art of communicating. How do you take something, an idea and actually give it shape and form so you can communicate it? There's uh, there's one coming soon on passion and burnout and daily routines. Um, How do you manage and, that? Yeah. So Yep. Keep them coming. And you're doing a tour right now. You're, you're going to be touring um, in Europe this, this spring and summer. Um, July, July will be okay. Amsterdam, Berlin, Copenhagen, Stockholm, Oslo, Belfast, Dublin, London, Manchester, Brighton, Bristol. Did Dude, it. That's pretty yeah. good. You got that memorized. Yeah. That'll be fun. And um, I'll see you at some, hopefully I'll see you at some point. No, you, you know what I was thinking? I'd like to, talk more about this with you, but I would love to go and not only go, but bring some people with me. Cause I think we've got yeah, some partners who deal with these issues and topics on a regular basis, either yeah. with themselves or their own teams. Um, one of the best things I've been hearing lately from some of our partners is I just heard it this week down in uh, Strasbourg and, and Metz is our two leaders who said, I don't, my goal isn't for me to have a bigger, to have more this year. My goal is for these specific team members because I want them to experience what this can be like, what this abundance can be like. Um, just really profound and really inspiring. So people can find those tour dates all on robbell.com. Yep. Yep. And that's Rob Bell, R-O-B. B-E-L-L. That's Rob Bell with two Bs. <laughs> Rob Bell with two Bs. R-O-B-B-E-L-L.com. We'll put the links. We'll put the links in the notes on this podcast. But uh, this is really timely, Rob. And uh I really enjoyed the book. And I, of course I love listening to your podcast, but, uh, and most importantly, I just love hanging out and chatting. That's it's good. Been, been so fun. So fun. Thanks for, thanks for joining the kick aspirational podcast again, Rob, you are one of our favorite guests and uh, certainly appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for joining another episode of the kick aspirational podcast. You know, the most important thing to remember is this is not a spectator sport. What I'm deeply interested in is hearing about your stories and answering your questions. What does your life look like? What are you trying to accomplish? What are the barriers that you're trying to break through? Because at the end of the day, the Kick Aspirational Podcast is about helping people break through barriers of their own. I'd love to hear what you're working on. I'd love to join you in your battles. And most importantly, whatever you do today, please, among all other things, be Kick Aspirational. Kick Aspirational.